0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit, and no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them, because from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead.
1: Hey, this is Spencer Torkelson. The Road to Detroit podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dan Hasty.
2: Time Madden is serving an undue penalty. It's not fair. It's not fair. Allow me to explain. What has happened to Time Madden? A year ago at this time, Time Madden was the number nine overall prospect in the MLB draft by MLB Pipeline. Baseball America, number 12 overall. And they're not the only places that had Time Madden ranked significantly high going into the MLB draft. The Scouting Industrial Complex. Pretty much everybody and their brother had Ty Madden ranked as a top draft prospect. I don't think anybody would have been surprised if Ty Madden was a top five pick. I think it was more surprising to see him go where he went, 32nd overall to Detroit. And what do we know now? We know he has some of the best numbers in the entire minor league system for the Tigers, a 261 ERA 72 and a third innings, 52 hits. Opponents are hitting 195 against the guy. So here's what we now know. And we can make this call having been a year out from the draft. A lot of teams overthought it. A lot of teams would love to have numbers like that sitting in their minor league system for their first round pick. There are many teams whose first round pick are not putting up numbers like this. Tigers had two first rounders. They took Jackson Job at number three. He's still working on things in Lakeland. They took Ty Madden at 32. And Madden's putting up numbers that are worthy of being the number three overall pick in that draft. Might it have been a stretch? Maybe, but there were teams that thought Jackson Job could have been a stretch. A 261 ERA. And yet, despite having this dominant stretch, And to really understand what Madden has done this year, you have to look at his numbers since June 1st. That's a big sample. Since the month of June began, Ty Madden has thrown 34 innings and has allowed 15 base hits. That's not even a base hit every other inning. That's one base hit on average every three innings. He also hasn't walked many. He's only got eight walks in those 34 innings in which he's posted an ERA of 0.53. So I ask you this. If those numbers are legit, and he's doing this all at 22 years old, and he's getting better as the season goes on, why is he not a top 100 prospect? Why is he not considered among the best 100 players in minor league baseball as it pertains to him being a major league prospect. I'll tell you why. Time Adden was unjustly penalized for having fallen on draft day. The scouting industrial complex that told us that Time Adden was a top 10 draft prospect would have ranked him as a top 100 prospect out of the gate if had he been drafted in a spot that would have justified that ranking. But here's what they did. They saw Ty Madden fall down the board. And instead of sticking to their evaluations and sticking to their opinions, they moved him down. There's a reason Ty Madden was a top 10 draft prospect from just about every outlet and site you can think of. But because he fell down the draft board, everybody flying those planes decided to hit that eject button, shoot out the top, and pull the parachute. Why is that Time Adden's fault? Time Madden doesn't have control of where he's drafted. And aren't we at a point now where enough time has passed where we can honestly look at each other and realize a lot of teams did too much. They overthought it. Do less. You're doing too much. Do less. A wise man once said, The less you do, the more you do. Guys, stack up Ty Madden's numbers with any pitcher in minor league baseball since June 1. It doesn't matter if it's the best pitching prospect in major league baseball. Madden's numbers are as good as anybody's. It's crazy to me. We saw a bunch of teams overthink it. And now we're watching the scouting industrial complex do the exact same thing. I'm fired up about this. And maybe it's a matter of time until this changes. But the fact that this hasn't happened yet is stunning. And those scouting services, whether it's MLB Pipeline, Baseball America, they do great work. There's a reason that they are the industry leaders. So this isn't towards any one particular entity. A lot of people told us that Ty Madden was a top 10 draft prospect. And just because he went later than people thought they need to start treating him like one, not because of what he can be, but because of what he is. That was actually quite a toned down version of how I really felt about that. Nate Wangler had to slip me a sedative before we started the show out. (laughs) Hi, by the way, good to see you, Nate.
3: (laughs) Good to see you too. (laughs) We got him calm down.
2: It's the road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. That's our producer, Nate Wangler. I'm Dan Hasty. We've got a lot coming up on the show today. We're going to hear from Austin Bergner. And I love stories like this because this is a guy who has an interesting background and one that I'm kind of surprised more teams don't try to take advantage of more often. Austin Bergner was one of the best high school baseball players in his draft class a couple of years ago. Instead of going pro, he decided to go to college. Austin Bergner was a top 50 high school player in the country ranked by perfect game. When he came out the Boston Red Sox drafted him back in 2016, the Arizona diamondbacks took a chance on him in 2018. Didn't sign either time. It was only until the ninth round in 2019, When he was pitching at North Carolina and the Tigers decided to call his name. It took a little while for him to figure things out. You look at his 2019 numbers, he had an ERA in the low sixes. But they saw the skill set. They saw something that they liked. Now they've had opportunities to work with him. And you look at his numbers. They're right up there with most of the pitchers in the minor league system for this team. So get this, Austin Bergner has played at three levels of the Tigers minor league system. Lakeland, West Michigan, followed by Erie. And in each of those three stops, Austin Bergner has lowered his ERA. In Lakeland, 444. In West Michigan, 290. In Erie, 243. And it makes you think, maybe it's worthwhile to take a shot on the once dominant high school player who went to the college ranks and had to figure things out the hard way. What we wanna know about is what happened after being drafted to this point here today. Because Austin Bergner is not the same pitcher now as he was the day he was drafted. Not even close. Did they have to break him down to build him back up? Did they have to completely go into the workshop and reinvent him as a pitcher. Only one person knows that. It's Austin Bergner. He'll join us coming up here on the road to Detroit. We'll also be joined by the radio voice of the Erie Seawolves. Greg gain stops by to give us a state of the Seawolves. Let's get into the news. You know, we were sitting here stumping for Ty Madden to be a top 100 prospect, and very quietly, Wilmer Flores just snuck in the side door so Bill Lumberg didn't see him. The Tigers, who have Riley Green currently sitting as the number one prospect in Major League Baseball, and I want to talk about that in a moment as well. They now have three players sitting in the top 100. They should have four, but currently they have three. Green's at number one. Jackson Job is a top 100 prospect. Depending on where you look, that number tends to vary. And Baseball America has placed Wilmer Flores at number 93. Wilmer! (laughs) We saw it at the very beginning of the season in West Michigan, downright electricity from Wilmer Flores. We knew that we were looking at something special, and now the scouting industrial complex is starting to realize that. So congratulations to Wilmer Flores, who is going to take his catcher in double-A with him to L.A., Dylan Dingler and Wilmer Flores are going to the MLB futures game. That'll be in Los Angeles at Dodger Stadium. Congratulations to both Dylan Dingler and Wilmer Flores. Wilmer Flores' stats this season, pretty good. He's hitting 253, 12 home runs, 48. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong Wilmer Flores. Let's look at the (laughs) Wilmer Flores from Erie. So three and two this year, a 254 ERA, 39 innings, 36 hits, 50 strikeouts. So The astronomical strikeout rate is not quite what it was in West Michigan, but it's still pretty good. And it's nothing to take lightly. I am really looking forward to watching Wilmer Flores in the Futures game. And to think about the fact that we really weren't talking about Wilmer Flores a whole lot six months ago. To know that that guy, somebody who was not drafted in 2020, there was only a five-round draft. There was value to be had. The Tigers clearly struck gold here and... A lot of teams, the good teams, they find value in situations like that. If it's only a five-round draft, it's almost essential to find a big-time prospect. And you have to do it in the undrafted free agent market. And this one of the first times I can think of where the Tigers have been able to do something like this. So they're right on track with a lot of other teams. Most teams found somebody that is considered a prospect, but not many sent theirs to the Futures game. So congratulations to Wilmer Flores. As it pertains to Dylan Dingler, still trying to figure out the offensive game. He's a very talented player. We saw it in West Michigan back in 2021. He hit almost 300 there, almost had an RBI per game. But the jump from high A to double A, that's the hardest jump in the minor league system. And it's not the first time that a catcher has taken a little bit longer to develop. There's a lot of nuance involved with that responsibility. It's not just an offensive responsibility. It's also the defensive side. There's a reason that catchers always go on to become managers. It's because they have a lot to think about, a lot to learn, and a lot to be in charge of. So Dylan Dingler, he's only hitting 240 in Erie right now. But I think with him, like any catcher, you have to give him a little more time. Some time that he'll get in the MLB Futures game. So congratulations to him. There's not many catchers going to the Futures game. That's a significant accomplishment for Dylan Dingler. Right now, there are as many as three prospects for Detroit sitting in the top 100, depending on where you look. And we had some questions about Riley Green and how this works, because he's currently Major League Baseball's top prospect. He is the number one prospect in Major League Baseball. And you might be saying, okay, well, how does that work? He's in the major leagues right now. So here's the cutoff that considers you a rookie rather than a prospect. There are two numbers that matter. It depends on what you are. If you're a position player, the number is 130 at-bats. If you cross 130 at-bats, that takes you out of prospect status and makes you a simple Major League Baseball rookie. So despite the fact that Riley Green missed a lot of time at the beginning of the year with his foot fracture, he's going to achieve rookie status this season. He's already got almost 100 at-bats. So we're not that far away from not only him hitting 130 at-bats, but also him no longer being considered a prospect. He's officially a major leaguer now. We've pushed that boat out into the lake, and now we're just going to let it float into the sea. Meanwhile, if you're a pitcher, it's 50 innings pitched in the major leagues. So if you go over 50, and this was the case actually a couple of years ago when Casey Mize had just broken in the major leagues, when Tarek Skubal had just broken in the major leagues, those guys hadn't pitched the 50 innings required to make them rookies, to make them no longer considered to be prospects. So they actually sat in the pool as prospects for a little bit longer. And that was part of the reason that you saw the Tigers have a farm system that was ranked in the top five. Because they had Mize and Scooble and Manning and Green and Paredes and Dingler. So I hope that answers your question as to what makes a prospect no longer a prospect. So Riley Green certainly will graduate into rookie status. He's just not quite there yet. There were a number of you that asked about that. So thank you very much for those questions. We're going to do an RTD mailbag coming up in one of these next shows. You can find me on Twitter at that Dan Hasty. You can find Nate on Twitter at Wangler underscore Nathan. And if you don't want to wait for the mailbag, send us a tweet. We'll answer your questions there. And I know this is season three of this show. Odds are, this is not your first time listening to the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. You're probably somebody who has been on board with us for quite a while. If you're new, make sure to follow along with the show. Our plan is to drop an episode every week. And hey, this is free content. This is available to you for the low, low price of free 99. (laughs) All we ask you to do in return is to rate the show because we're like Uber drivers. We need five stars or leave a review. That's the best way to make sure this show appears on your podcast page each and every week. Now let's hit the on ramp. To the Complex League. The Florida Complex League Tigers finished the week one and four. They took one out of three against the Phillies and then lost to the Blue Jays and Yankees. Do they, they play those guys every single week?
3: <laughs> every week.
2: It, it sounds like they just like hang out all the time. I don't know if they're <laughs> really enjoying that relationship, but apparently. It it, Dinso Reyes certainly is. He was signed as a non-drafted free agent back in 2018, and the numbers took a while to get to this place. But he's finally started to figure it out. He's got a non-base percentage of 444 in the month of July. Two homers, four runs batted in. Abel Bastidas is a shortstop who was signed as an international free agent out of Corona, Venezuela. And he's been kind of interesting. He was really known as a glove-first shortstop. They had Abel Bastidas and Javier Osorio. It was Bastidas who was kind of the, the second big name that the Tigers signed out of international free agency, had a seven-game hitting streak last week, is now hitting 318 in the month of July, and he's drawing walks at a really nice rate. It's interesting. The Tigers really like to go after those international free agent shortstops. How many of those have we talked about in recent years? Adinso Reyes, Abel Bastidas, Javier Osorio. Now in Lakeland, Christian Santana's playing, and he's considered to be a top-five prospect in the system. Now it just comes down to developing those talents. Let's go to Loe Lakeland. The Flying Tigers, mistakes were made. A six-game sweep at Bradenton last week. Manny Sequeira, though, six for 16. Solid finish to the week that was. Three doubles, a home run, and three runs batted in. Isaac Pacheco, he spells Isaac with a Z. He had a five-game hit streak. Two doubles, two homers, four runs batted in. And Roberto Campos starting to tap into that massive frame, that big power. Hadn't really done it yet this year. Still just 18 years old. Went four for 10 on Saturday and Sunday with a double, two homers, and six runs batted in. I think once we start seeing that power come into form, then maybe you can talk about a promotion from Lakeland up to high A in West Michigan. Certainly expect to see him there next year. Let's go to high A the West Michigan White Caps. They ended up winning five out of six against the Dayton Dragons on the road, including a 4th of July to remember. The Whitecaps set single game records this year in runs. They set a franchise record in margin of victory 19 runs with a 20 to 1 victory over the Dayton Dragons. They also scored 12 runs in the third inning of that game, which was more runs than any team has scored in a single inning in minor league baseball this year. Props to the Whitecaps. They're now 11 and 4 in the second half. It's very important to remember that the way these seasons are set up, they're split in half. So, after the first 66 games of the year, everything goes back to a zero and zero record. And it just happens to coincide in what might be the hottest stretch of the season for West Michigan. They've won 12 of their last 16 games, and they're 11 and four to start the second half. The best view is always at the top, and that's where the West Michigan Whitecaps are in the Midwest League's Eastern Division standings. As for the individual players, we talked a lot about Ty Madden. He just went out and did exactly what he's done for a month and a half now. Five shutout innings, just one hit, no walks, six strikeouts. He now has a scoreless streak that has spanned exactly 20 innings. It's been a fun ride the last six weeks with Ty Madden in West Michigan. And coming up next week during the Major League All-Star break, the Minor League All-Star break also happens to coincide. And there's no minor league all-star game at that level this year. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see some significant movement throughout the Tigers minor league system for players who have deserved promotions up the ladder. Meanwhile, somebody who did get promoted, it was Brant Herter. He started the season in Lakeland, ended up promoted to West Michigan, a seventh rounder out of Georgia Tech in last year's draft. He looked really good on Sunday. Gave up just one run in five and a third innings, one walk, five strikeouts, and He was just mowing people down on Sunday against Dayton. He also started the game on the 4th of July. He threw five innings, giving up one run in that game to Dayton, but that was an accomplishment. Think about it from this angle. In the third inning, he had to go into the dugout, and he had to watch his team score 12 runs, and that's great, but think about how long that is to sit in the dugout and wait. We timed it. It was 49 minutes worth of time. There are rain delays that are shorter than that. There were actually not one but two occasions where Herter actually went down to the bullpen and started throwing. He told us he never had to warm up in the middle of an inning in his career and he had to go do it twice. The fact that he went five innings is an accomplishment. Meanwhile, Brian Packard, fifth rounder in 2019 from East Carolina, matched his home run total For the month of June, hit his second home run, hit a couple of doubles, drove in four against Dayton, and Josh Crouch. I'll tell you what, keep an eye on Josh Crouch. He is a complete ball player, and for everything we talk about Dylan Dingler, his ability to control the run game, his offensive potential, we might need to start talking about it the same way with Josh Crouch. We've talked about time added. Maybe he should be a top 100 prospect I think Josh Crouch might need consideration as a top 30 prospect in the Tigers system. He has been the backbone of that West Michigan team this year, and they are now 34 and 21 since he arrived. He was six for 13 in Dayton, an eight game hit streak, a double seven RBIs against the Dragons. He's a catcher hitting 300 who throws runners out at a 40% clip. What more can you ask for? Let's go to Double A Erie. The Seawolves, not too shabby. They won four out of five against Harrisburg on the road. But we talked about Dylan Dingler and his offense. He hit safely in all four games against the Senators. A triple, a home run, five RBIs. Those are the kind of offensive numbers we got used to last year. Meanwhile, Wilmer Flores is coming to the Futures game with some momentum. Four scoreless innings back on the sixth. Gave up just one hit, struck out six. And Austin Bergner who we'll talk to coming up a little bit later in this episode, only through three innings. He's having his innings managed right now, so he's throwing a little bit less than normal. But now he's not allowed a run through his last eight innings. When you look at the overall numbers this year, Erie has the best win-loss record of any team in their division. They just weren't able to get a playoff spot in the process. Let's go to Triple A. Toledo was in Omaha. Nice area. They won two out of seven games on the road against the Storm Chasers. And look out for Kerry Carpenter. We talked to him on episode two. If you want to hear a conversation with a young man who is nothing but grateful for the opportunity he has in this system, you should go back and listen to our conversation with him. 19th round pick, 2019 out of Virginia Tech, and he just continues to hit. Gary Carpenter, seven for 18, four doubles, four RBIs last week. Akil Badu's back in the major leagues. How did he get there? He hit 405 in the month of July. Welcome back to the show, young man. He looked outstanding in Omaha last week. That's a look at the on ramp. We'll have best in class coming up in just a little bit. But for now, we talked to the young man who was the big high school prospect who worked his way into the college ranks. The Tigers scooped him up in the ninth round. and now he's turned himself into a top 30 Tigers prospect. Austin Bergner joins the Road to Detroit podcast, presented by Carhartt. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. Well, it is not easy to get better at every level of the minor league system as you progress. Few people have done it. And one of them joins us now, Austin Bergner, who's a Tigers top 30 prospect. Numbers have been outstanding in double A Erie this year, which is not easy in that ballpark. Austin, thank you very much for joining us. Of course, Dan. Thanks for having me on. How are you throwing up a 243 ERA in that bandbox box out there in Erie?
1: <laughs> um, I think the... Biggest factor was in the beginning of the season, you know, making adjustments and learning that what I was doing in spring training was good enough to make the double A roster, but not good enough to be where I wanted during the season. So, uh, just getting to work as soon as we got out here because there were some things I needed to work on with my lower half and strengthening my arm and improving my arsenal as well. Kind of, I, I could name a list of like 10 things that uh, we've been working on. It's just been pitch execution and just, you know, managing. Managing everything at a at a higher level, you know, it it requires you to do that at this level and double it.
2: Ten different things to work on. How do you compartmentalize? Because you can't work on everything between starts, right?
1: I think the biggest thing is just staying where your feet are, and you know, trying to go out there every day uh, with like for stretch and for your throwing session, and just trying to pick something that's simple and something that you can get better at that day instead of working at you know looking at couple of days down the road or a couple of weeks down the road at the whole picture. You know, it's hard to see improvement when you're focused on the end product and what's going to happen when I improve these things instead of just staying where your feet are and getting better a little bit every day.
2: Let me spit your numbers back to you. So last year, you start in Lakeland, you have a 444 ERA. You finished the season in West Michigan with a 290 ERA. Now you're at 243 at the time we're having this conversation in double A. How are you getting that ERA lower and lower as you climb up the chain?
1: I, I think it comes down to just consistency. Uh, I was the biggest separator that allowed me to be a part of the conversation. Like you said, how I snuck into being a ranked prospect. Um, coming from you know the Tigers org, where no one had really heard about me, I think being consistent, man, that's that's the easiest answer I can give you. Because last year, you know, I'd have a I'd have a good outing, and then just focus on the few things that day that you that you want to prove to the opposing team you're going to face that week.
2: Yeah, you had an interesting college career. You went to North Carolina, but before that, you were drafted by the Red Sox in 2016, and then while you were at UNC. You were drafted by the Diamondbacks. So talk to me about deciding not to sign then and why it was right when it was the Tigers in 2019.
1: Um, I think it was just because I left, I left Omaha in 2018 with a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth and knowing that we were going to have another really good team the following year. Um, you know, knowing that I was still draft eligible my junior year and things wouldn't really change, I was willing to just kind of roll the dice and be like, all right, well, I, I want to go back because I want to be with, with a team like that again and have the experience of going to Omaha. And then also just knowing that I felt – or feeling like I could go out there and have a better year. Um, clearly, that's that's not what happened if you go look at, like, statistically speaking. But um, I felt like I still, at the end of the day, made the right choice. It was, it was a pretty special three years at UNC.
2: You're definitely not the same pitcher now as you were the day you left UNC. What are the margins that Austin Bergner has gotten better at? Like, where have you capitalized since that time?
1: I think it comes down to having um, the, the coaching that we've had in the Tigers and all the guys that I've worked with in the last couple of years just allowing me to focus on the things that i needed to focus on right the things that were going to make my arsenal better versus me going out there and trying to be the same pitcher that i was in college because i wasn't looking to do that obviously i wasn't satisfied with that guy um so i feel like every year you know i just i got more and more focused on the things that were more important you know in college you can have one good off-speed pitch and if you command that and have a A plus fastball you can get guys out with that but that's not the case in pro ball um and I learned that quickly in in low a that um you know if you're not commanding the ball you're you're going to get hit around so the biggest thing for me was just being able to go out there consistently and and have command and and be able to have confidence in my arsenal because I knew guys were helping me between my starts to make my stuff
2: better you were a pretty big time high school baseball prospect. I know that the Red Sox drafted you. I know it was late in that particular draft, but I mean, you were a top 50 player at the high school level at your last year of high school. So how tempting was it to sign once the Red Sox picked you, or was it already a kind of a a handshake agreement that you were going to college regardless?
1: Yeah, it was a, it was already decided. I, I didn't, officially announced with like a letter i know some guys do that um to let everyone know that they're going to college but i um i communicated with my with my um, advisor at the time right before they're your agent with uh boris and that team and it it came down to just did i want to go play college or did i want to go play pro and i felt like i wanted to go play in the world series in omaha and go to my dream school i'd always wanted to go to north carolina so that was pretty set in stone. I also had a, a little bit of an injury my senior year. So that really like solidified the decision. It was like, well, I'm not going to enter the draft with, a, with an arm that's not healthy. So I wanted to go to college and just get better.
2: When you've been drafted multiple times by multiple teams, and then you get to that point where you're saying, okay, when I get drafted, if I get drafted, I will sign this time around. Did you think it was going to be Detroit? Did you have a feeling it could be Arizona again or Boston again? Who did you see as a possibility outside of Detroit? Or did you see Detroit at that point in time?
1: I actually didn't. A lot of guys, um, that conversation comes up pretty casually in the last couple of years and just talking with guys and throughout the organization, I was not, I don't remember communicating with the Tigers at all in pre-draft meetings and, even in high school, I, I don't remember the Tigers being at, at my games. If they were, that I didn't, I didn't know the scouts or any uh, scouting directors or anything like that. Um, so it was, it was surprising to be drafted by the Tigers. But I was obviously, um, I wasn't in the position to be really negotiating, you know, a whole lot with how I pitched in college. So that day, it was more of like a just being happy with the fact that I got drafted and. The Tigers obviously care about me and are interested in me. So let's go to work. You know, it it didn't really matter who was picking me at that point. It was more so about, I'm just ready to go. I'm just ready to go pro ball and start my career.
2: I mean, at one point you were a 38th round pick. Granted, you knew you're not going to sign. Then you were a 32nd round pick and then you go up to the ninth round. So you have to know that the Tigers like you. Did they give you an idea as to what they liked at the time?
1: Not really. Uh, I communicated with the, the scouts and, um, once, you know, I got the call from the Tigers that I was picked in the ninth round, they wanted to know I was, I was going to sign. And I was like, yeah, I'm ready to go to work. Let's go. I'm, I'm excited. And it was pretty, it, it was simple. It was a straightforward conversation. Um, I was telling my agent, cause my agent actually called me before, right before the Tigers picked me. and He told me that the Tigers were, were, it was looking like the Tigers were going to pick me. And, I told them, all right, let's get it done. Tell them I'm ready to sign. And then the rest is history.
2: So how does that work? I mean, was that your first phone call on draft day or were there other teams that were saying, Hey, will you do it for this? Like, look, what's the process there? I mean, maybe that's all handled by your advisor and maybe it only gets to you when it gets concrete, but what was that process like for you?
1: For me, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty simple. It was straightforward. I, I didn't have any communication with, um, with teams asking if, you know, you would take this. That was that was actually kind of what happened with the Diamondbacks my sophomore year. They communicated with me through our stat analyst guy that we had at UNC that actually worked for them in the summer. So he texted me on night two of the draft, and he's like, hey, the Diamondbacks want to know if you'll take this amount of money. And I thought that was kind of strange that they were communicating through him instead of communicating with me directly or my agent. So I just told them to reach out to my agent or to reach out to me and, and we'll talk. And then I didn't hear anything. And then junior year when the Tigers called, I, you know, I told them that I was super excited to get my career going and ready to sign. And that, that was that.
2: Has your advisor now turned into an agent? Are you still with the Boris company? Yes. What role do they play with you throughout the course of your minor league trajectory as you work your way up? Are they helping you get additional training during the offseason? Like, what kind of resources are they providing to guys like you?
1: They have two facilities that you can train at. One is in roughly like Laguna Beach area, that's where their main office actually is. Um, and that Kind of, I don't know California well. I say Laguna Beach because it was like 10 minutes from the office. That's what I remember. But um, they have an office there and a training facility in that area as well. And then they have a training facility at St. Thomas University in Miami. So um, they've helped me a lot just because they, uh, you know, with them, it's everything is about the player. It's not about them. And so I've communicated with them since I've signed, like, about what my off season looks like. What are your opinions on this? What do you think I need to improve? And so I utilize their resources by going down to St. Thomas University, which is like North Miami area, every off season. And I check in with them and the strength and training staff down there communicates with the the team that I have back home in Orlando as well. So it's it's a full team of communication. And I'm very fortunate to have that. And then outside of the strength and conditioning side, um, those guys also – communicate with me throughout the season. So I bounce things off my trainer back home. I bounce things off, um, Ciro Sanchez who works, he's the head strength guy down in Miami. And then he communicates with my strength guy as well. So it's, it's an open ended communication line. It's, it's pretty awesome to have, you know, to have that type of resource at your disposal. And I have everything that they send me on my phone workout wise, which is great too with videos. So it's like, I don't have to call and be like, "Hey, I don't know how to do this this movement that you want me working on. it's It's in my app. I just click on the movement, and then the video's there, and then I know what I need to do for some specific uh, stuff that I do during the season and then the off season.
2: You know, it's really easy to think that every five days guys like you just go out and grab a baseball, but there's so much more that goes into it, and so many more people that are working around it behind the scenes. How's Laguna Beach in the wintertime, by the way?
1: I, I haven't been out there. It's, I actually, I haven't checked. So my sister just moved out to Santa Barbara. So I don't know how close she is. I know that that's Southern Cal, but I don't know how far or how close she is to that facility, but I would like to go out there and, um, you know, just be out there because California is awesome. That time of year, going to the beach and, and training, having the facility and, and everything. And, that I could meet during the off season but Florida is a little bit easier so I just make the quick three-hour drive down to Miami and stay with family I have family down there and then just get to work for about a week and then I go back home and then I go back down to Miami and then I go back home and then I go back usually one more time before spring training.
2: Something tells me you're going to get that opportunity in Laguna Beach at some point. So take, yeah, me right. back, take me back to this season. So we already mentioned the numbers. Numbers are solid. I mean, we look across the system. There's not a lot of guys putting up numbers, the caliber that you have. So what do you want to do the rest of the way this season? I assume you're happy with where things are at to a point. Nobody's ever totally happy. So mm-hmm. what do you totally. want to get out of the last two months of the season?
1: I think it comes down to what we talked about earlier, right? Just being consistent as simple as that sounds, right? I mean, just being able to limit damage when you're not having a great outing, being able to go out there with the confidence that you don't have your best stuff and you're still going to compete for five, six innings and get guys out. And it's pretty easy. Um, here, we have a great group of guys and I've always thrived off that, that team atmosphere, which I'm sure you, you can pick that up on, you know, my decision to go to Carolina and to stay there for a third year. Um, when you, you know, there's something about special teams and I think we we have that here. And it's very uncommon, you know, because pro ball is very up and down. Guys get called up, guys get called down and there's not always a set team. But um, my goal is to just keep going out there and being consistent. And it's, it's easy because it's it's just fun and I'm going out there just trying to compete with the guys that are behind me, knowing that, you know, I got some pretty pretty good ball players behind me making some great plays.
2: I feel like there's a lot of pitchers in the system that would look at your numbers and say that's consistent, all right. But it just goes to show that we all expect a little bit more out of ourselves. Just for all the stat heads out there, what's your fastball topping out at this year? This year
1: it's down, so that's something uh, that I told you. Like I had like ten things or so to work on. My fastball below at the beginning of the year was around eighty nine to ninety one, which is a a pretty big tick down from last year, um, starting in Lakeland, I was pretty much 94, 96, every outing out of the bullpen. And then, um, started to really tap into what I need to be doing these last couple of weeks. And I started to see a little bit of a tick in the right direction. My VLO, this the last two outings were back, um, up a little bit. I was 92 to 93 versus, you know, being just happy to touch 92 once or twice. Um, and it just comes down to just putting in the right work.
2: Well, if you're putting up numbers like that, throwing at that velo, that's really exciting. And the idea that what you can be when you add those ticks back to your fastball, there's a lot of reasons to be excited about Austin Bergner. Austin, I can't thank you enough for doing this. This has been really enlightening. It's always good to catch up with you and to hear because I feel like you process the game in a way that people will appreciate. And the fact that the numbers have gotten better, every level you've jumped is just icing on the cake.
1: Dan, I wanted to leave you with uh, one more thing since I didn't uh, touch on this earlier. The biggest separator in the last three years for me has been growing my mental game. Um, And I shouldn't be mentioning that last, but I've been working with Dr. Wood a lot and having uh, conversations with Brian Peterson, I'm sure you've had plenty with Brian as well, just in passing, the guy's awesome. Just being able to have guys like that in our organization definitely makes a huge difference for the guys that utilize those resources. Um, I spent a lot of time with Dr. Wood during spring training and, you know, I could have very easily went into the beginning of the season, very nervous, and very, you know, afraid of what's to happen because I'm throwing as hard as I was throwing in ninth grade, you know, like that's just not, I haven't thrown that slow in forever and, being able to have my mind sharper than my body and going out there and just executing based on the work that I put in with Dr. Wood. It's, it's been a huge difference and I'm super excited to see him. I I just had a conversation with him last week and updated him on all the work that we put in and how I've continued to just stick with that and just keep things simple. And I, and I feel a lot, more free out there and and really just allowing my ability to show and I'm not getting in my own way anymore because of my mental, my mental game that I put in with Spencer Wood and the guys in the the rest of the guys
2: in this organization. That's a big deal. And you can probably Mm -hmm. see that with some of your teammates. I mean, we were just talking about chance Kirby, who's had a great Mm -hmm. season in double a. And I mean, I don't know what his fastball looks like right now, but his numbers are as good as they've ever been. Did you have help like this when you were at North Carolina?
1: We so we I think my junior year we had a we had a we had someone who got a job in kind of similar role but she was in charge of the whole athletic department not you know the the tigers only or um you know it, it was just less access to it and I wasn't as interested in it back then you know I had never really been taught anything about the mental game um, up until. Right in the beginning of college, when I started to work with Don Carmen, who's actually uh, is a guy that uh, Scott has hired under the Sports company. And he's like the head sports psychologist under that um, company. So that's another resource that I have as well.
2: I know that Dr. Spencer Wood has been somebody that actually has gotten shout outs a couple different times on this podcast this season. Give me an idea of the biggest mental takeaway that you've had from working with Dr. Wood and how it's helped you go out there and try to compete every fifth day. I
1: could give you a long answer, but I'm going to give you the simple answer. The, the thing that stuck with me the most was a, was a was an exercise that he showed me in spring training where it's called a take two, where you separate the physical and the mental versus pitching as a whole. And it makes it a whole lot easier because you can just separate the two and understand what you want to work on that's physical, but then what you want to work on mental instead of everything just being physical so that when you're out there on the mound, you're not thinking about physical. You don't want to be thinking about your mechanics when you're on the mound. You want to be working on your mental just as much so that you know what you need to improve and what you do well so that you can rely on that when you get punched in the mouth in a big situation.
2: Compartmentalizing. That's important stuff. So keep up the good work. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Talk to you soon. Thanks for reaching out, Dan. Thanks for
2: your time. That is Austin Bergner here on the road to Detroit. And now it's time for Best in Class. Of all the players in the Tigers minor league system, this one made the most noise. Boom! Now the one-two pitch. Check swing. Did he go too far? Yes, he did. Strike three. Slider down to nowhere close, and Veoheen couldn't hold up. Strikeout number two for Madden. Two more scoreless innings for Ty here on Saturday. Time Madden trying to end the fourth. He delivers the one-two pitch to Matt Nelson. Swing and a miss. Slider on the inner half. Nelson couldn't get to it. A pair of strikeouts finishes the fourth inning for Ty Madden. Yeah, we only spent the first 10 minutes talking about how everyone's done him dirty. Ty Madden is this week's best in class with numbers as good as anybody in the Tigers minor league system. A 261 ERA, a strikeout per inning, and he's not allowing a lot of players to get on base. His hits are down, he's not walking very many, just 52 hits. It's really hard to find anybody who's putting up numbers like time Madden. He's this week's best in class, the runaway winner. But there were a lot of good players who had great weeks as well. There were some in Erie. There were more in West Michigan. There's a lot of contenders for the Rose. You know, they have two bachelorettes now, by the way. So they have to give out like double the (laughs) Rose
3: Well, good. That's right. I feel like there were a lot of great options this week. All right, Nate. The winner is Josh Crouch. And don't let the name deceive you. Because he doesn't stay in that crouch, at least not for long. He throws out runners again at a clip just below 40%. But what's more impressive, Dan, we've talked about this a lot, he gets chances every single night in that lineup. Last year, through just 24 games at Loway Lakeland, he was hitting just 230 with a slugging percentage just above 300. So far this year, it's been the opposite. He's actually exploded at the plate 313, 400 on base, a 444 slugging percentage for the catcher, not to mention five homers so far on the year for Josh Crouch. So he's been doing a little bit of everything behind the plate for West Michigan, not only swinging the bat well, but he keeps runners honest. And again, he did that against some of the best running teams in the Midwest League. So congratulations to the catcher this week, Josh Crouch, who I think deserves a spot definitely in the top 30. He's the winner of this week's ROSA.
2: You want to know a number that travels? doesn't matter what level you are in the minor league system. If you want to look closely to find out what makes a good prospect offensively, look at what they do with runners in scoring position because that's when the chips are down. A lot of guys have empty calorie RBIs, empty calorie home runs when you can hit a blast when your team's down 7-3 to or when it doesn't necessarily impact the bottom line. But Josh Crouch... When he was in Lakeland, he didn't have a lot of opportunities because, frankly, he wasn't there very long. But he hit 455 with runners in scoring position in Lakeland. And now in West Michigan, Josh Crouch is hitting 328 with runners at second and third base. That's a big deal. Again, because he's a catcher. I mean, what does A.J. Hinch say? Go out and catch me a winner, right? That's the whole idea. So if you get offense, and trust me when I tell you, Josh Crouch can catch a winner. He's caught a lot of them in West Michigan over the last month and a half. But offensively, he is providing a similar impact to West Michigan as they had last year when Dylan Dingler was there. The only difference is we don't talk about Josh Crouch as a big-time prospect. Maybe we should Nate Wangler, He's this week's Rosa Award winner. That's a look at best in class The Road to Detroit podcast continues as we get ready for the draft. We talk to Greg Ganya, the voice of the Erie Seawolves, and talk about not only guys who could be picked, but guys who have been picked in these high rounds. There's a ton of prospects in Erie right now, and Greg has had a chance to see them pretty much all season long, and it's been a good start for the Erie Seawolves. Greg, thanks for doing this, man. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Absolutely. Happy to be on. Always uh, Always happy to come on and talk Tigers. So what would you say? I mean, give us your state of the Erie Seawolves Union to this point. The record is good. How are the players going individually?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's been a fun year. The guys have responded well. They're developing well. And the the biggest issue for Erie has been closing out games. And I I brought that up a lot on the broadcast today as Erie Kind of, kind of, let one slip away. Uh, seven walks late out of the bullpen in the last three innings. It, it's tough to win ball games that way, um, and and so it, it's been a situation. And, and Gabe Alvarez has harped on it time and time again. The reason Erie didn't make the playoffs from the first half was because they couldn't finish out ball games, uh, and that's been their biggest. and It's been the Achilles' heel all season long. So the bullpen has struggled at the back end, especially on the road. Uh, at home, the team is phenomenal, and they and they pulled some wins out of nowhere at home, so they probably all balance out, but the road losses have been very tough. Um, but but you're seeing the maturation uh, on the pitching side. The starting pitching has been phenomenal all season long. Um, you know, Reese Olson has struggled as of late. Uh, Wilmer uh, Flores has been fantastic since he's gotten to Erie from West Michigan. Um, Austin Bergner has been steady all season long. Uh, he's a guy that's really playing himself into a top prospect on the mound. Uh, and so you, there, there's a lot to like. And the guy who came out of nowhere has been Chance Kirby. Um, you know, we saw him last season. You guys had him in, in West Michigan. Uh, and you thought maybe a bullpen guy. And now he's in the rotation. And he's been leading the league since he got into the rotation and earned run average. So it's it's been a fun team to watch. And offensively, um, you know, they, they've been paced by, obviously, Kerry Carpenter early in the season. He was out of his mind at the plate. Um, but then you look deeper down in the, into the lineup and and guys like, Dane Myers has putting up quietly really good numbers. Quincy Naporti, a free agent sign that has been a phenomenal sign and a phenomenal clubhouse guy. Uh, so th- so this team's really good, and they just have to figure out a way to close out ball games. If they weren't able to close out ball games, they'd be leading the league by 20 games right now, but they just haven't been able to do that.
2: Two of your guys are going to the MLB Futures game, and I know at the double level, this isn't something that's as big of a deal as, say, it might be in the lower levels of the system, but Wilmer Flores, Dylan Dingler going to L.A. What has your read been on those two guys? One, you just got a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two now ago, and of course, Dingler's trying to figure it out in his second season with you guys.
0: Yeah, so Wilmer Flores is an interesting guy, um, superhuman being, and and he has uh, you know he has struggled at times with his command, and I'm sure you saw that. Well, actually, you really didn't see that this year in West Michigan. He, uh, what do you have? Only two walks and like 50 innings pitched down there. Uh, so he's uh, he's a guy still trying to figure it out. And you know I, I saw Ryan Garko's comments the other day about you know these are both two potential guys that might find themselves in Toledo at the end of the year. And I don't disagree with that. Uh, they, they both are, are supremely talented individuals, uh, but they just haven't been able to put it all together yet. And Flores has been really hampered by the fact that he's on an innings limit right now. So his last start he went four. His next start he's probably only going to go four. So we really haven't seen them turn him loose yet. When the sliders on, it has been phenomenal, and he's getting swings and misses with with good veteran hitters at the plate. He's getting big time swings and misses. Uh, and, and when he has his command, he is incredibly tough to hit. And even when he gives up hard contact, uh, the, the defensive metrics have come into play in a big way where they've had fielders positioned in the right spots. So he's pitching to the right spots and posing hitters are making contact. It's hit right at guys. So guys have made good plays behind him. Uh, he really only had one clunker since he's gotten to Erie, and that was a start down in Richmond. And, and quite frankly, everybody on the Erie squad struggled in that series. Uh, so, Flores is a guy who's on the fast track. Uh, I, I would still, still like to see him get a few more starts here. First off, selfishly, he's really good. So, we love watching him pitch at this level. But I think for his development, he, he needs some more confidence and he needs more innings at Double A. You know, it, it, it's tough to say in the short sample size of a guy who only has, you know, four inning starts because he's on an innings limit that he's ready to go to that next level. But he, he definitely has the stuff. And if you can harness his command more at this level, he's really going to be an impact player in the big leagues. You know, I've seen a lot recently with Wilmer specifically on, you know, what's the long-term plan with him? Is he going to be a starter? Is he going to be out of the bullpen? And I think he could probably fit in both of those roles in the big leagues at some point. Uh, It's just going to be a matter of, of, again, that command. And if he can keep the command, then he could be a starter. If it's going to be wishy-washy on the command, he might be better suited for the bullpen.
2: How's Dylan Dingler coming along?
0: He, he's an interesting guy. You know, defensively, we all know what Dingler is able to do behind the plate. He uh, they, they trust him, and they always want the prospect pitchers thrown to him. At the plate, it, it, it's been a mixed bag of results. Um, you know, early in the season, he had a uh, 9 or 10-game hitting streak, and he got himself into the 280s in his batting average. And he really started, for the first time in two years, I thought, okay, Dingler is finally getting it at the plate, and he's probably not going to be here much longer if this keeps up. And he went on that tear in, in early to mid-May. And then it's sort of regressed since. And in the month of June, he only hit 218 at the plate with three home runs and struck out 31 times. So it was not a good month for him. Uh, and then in the month of July, went uh, went over in his first two games. And he's on a four-game hitting streak right now. So I think with Dingler, it's a matter of consistency at the plate. Uh, still too many swings and misses out of him right now. Uh, the, the outside pitches tend to give him the most trouble. I don't know if that's something you saw last year in West Michigan, but uh, the, the, the pitches out of the strike zone, especially low and away with him, uh, he, he still was getting fooled on those pitches too much in the month of June, um, but but it seems like you know in, in July he is really starting to take more of an, an all fields approach at the plate, and that's what worked for Kerry Carpenter. It's what's working for Andre Lipsius, and I think Dingler is starting to buy into that a lot more now at the plate. and And prime example is on on Sunday in Harrisburg, his eighth home run of the season, it went to the opposite field, and he, and it was a pretty convincing home run. I think it was like three sixty uh, over over the wall in right. So. Uh, I think with Dingler, it's it's cutting down the strikeouts. It's working deeper at bats. It's probably drawing more walks as well. Um, But, you know, it's just, he's a young guy and it's going to take some time for him. But as you know, the catching position is wide open in Detroit and he's a guy that is going to fit into their plans if he can figure it out at the plate.
2: Until 2021, West Michigan was a low A Tigers affiliate and that subtle switch from low to high A has been eye-opening. We see how difficult of an adjustment and in the increased level of competition it is to go from a place like low A to high A. But when we've talked to different people, and I'm sure you have too, I remember talking to Jim Leland about this and you know, asked him, what's the hardest jump? He said, hands down, it's high A to double A. What's your sense of the biggest adjustments that guys have to make? Obviously not having seen a lot of high A, but when they have to make that leap from where you sit. So
0: so, so to me, the biggest difference has always been is guys here are more around the strike zone. So I can't tell you how many guys throughout the year back when Lakeland was an A-ball team or, or high A at the time um, that we would have players that came up here that had just unbelievable strikeout numbers from Lakeland. Hard-throwing guys, even junk ballers, would, would come up with high strikeout numbers, and then they get to double A and they get beat up. Um, down at the A-ball levels, guys swing and miss so much more at pitches out of the strike zone. And to be successful at the A level, both as a hitter and the pitcher, is you need to be able to lay off the pitches out of the strike zone as a hitter. And as a pitcher, you need to be able to throw strikes. And if you don't, you're going to get exposed at the plate. And there was no more of a prime example of that than for Erie's last two games uh, in Harrisburg. Harrisburg is a very meager ball club. And they have really two hitters on their team that – can really do damage against you. But on Sunday, Erie walked seven out of the bullpen. And when you give guys opportunities at this level, when you're walking guys, then that's going to open up the door for those big bats to come through in the clutch. So I think the biggest issue for guys at from, from that high A to the double A jump is number one at the plate being able to recognize a strike and not swinging out of the strike zone, and number two for the pitchers is being able to throw those strikes. And guys who figure that out early tend to have success and move up the ranks quickly. Uh, guys who don't end up being in AA for a few years.
2: Talking so with Greg Ganya, the radio voice of the Erie SeaWolves. So, in just looking around, it was really easy to forget that Andre Lipsius is still a top 30 Detroit Tigers prospect. And you briefly mentioned him. He sits at number 22, according to MLB Pipeline. This guy has really done a lot to boost his stock as a prospect this year, maybe more specifically over the last six weeks. What in the world is going on with this guy? How is he hitting almost 450 over the last six weeks? Uh,
0: the, The biggest issue, I think, goes back to April and May. Um, what, what, what has really gotten him to this point right now where he's seeing so much success. So earlier in the season, he was hitting 220 to 240, you know, up and down, up and down. Uh, and, but, but his his walk to strikeout ratio has been good all year. I think right now he's plus nine in the walk to strikeout ratio. And now he is seeing pitches and when he is seeing pitches, he attacks, but his strikes zone awareness year over year. And, you know, I was talking to Gabe Alvarez, the Erie skipper about this, and, you know, in their organizational meetings in the offseason, one of the things that a lot of the coaches had brought up was Lipsius has an incredible eye for what is a strike and what is not a strike. And we didn't see that a lot last season, and we've seen it this year. And so early in the season, the walk numbers were just super high. And for the first month and a half, I think he was leading the league in walks. Uh, and and he's not anymore, but, it's that strikes an awareness that he has brought this season that now he is seeing pitches because guys know they have to throw to him because they don't want to walk him anymore and so now that he's getting pitches to hit he's attacking and he's using all fields his center to right center abilities have been great all season long and and that's been the biggest key and one of the things that john murray has harped on these guys all season long and i think it's really what's gotten carpenter to where he is right now is hitting to all fields and so often young hitters come up to the double-a level and they're just pure pull hit guys and that's not going to play when you get up to triple-a and the big league. so if you can make that adjustment in double-a then you're on your way and for lipsia specifically while he struggled at the plate early in the season it was that walk to strikeout ratio that i think has really gotten him to where he is right now because he works deep counts seemingly every at bat and we had a game on sunday where he struck out two times, and I had to actually go back and look, and it had been, uh, you know, it it doesn't happen very often. It's like, whoa, wow, Lipsy has struck out twice in the game, and and it just doesn't happen anymore for him.
2: So we got to talk pitchers, and I want to hear about a couple Mm -hmm. guys specifically because your rotation is actually quite strong, and, you know, you mentioned the bullpen. It's a pretty stacked rotation. rotation. It it is, and you know, I think the biggest surprise has probably been Chance Kirby, and I want to hear about what he's done, because we saw him for a couple seasons in West Michigan, nowhere near the numbers that he's put up this year, a 202 ERA in 18 games, but Austin Bergner's been pretty solid for you all year long, and Reese Olsen's strikeout rate is just through the roof, but he's starting to learn some lessons up there. What are you seeing with some of those guys?
0: So with Reese, he's had trouble over his last four starts of keeping the ball in the ballpark. Um, you know, Reese, when he first got to AA, the command was the biggest issue for him. He was walking too many guys. Um, you know, he, he had a three-start stretch in, gosh, I want to say it was, it was middle to late May where he had a 10-strikeout game, an 11-strikeout game, and a 9-strikeout game. And I thought, boy, he's on his way to Toledo. There's no doubt in my mind. And then it started to come back to earth a little bit. He had a start. It was four starts ago against Altoona. And for the first time in his double-A career, I saw him really pitching from behind. And not behind in the count, but what I mean by that is just using his secondary pitches as his primary pitches. And it really worked against a very good offense in Altoona. But I just think that over his last few starts, guys are, are, are waiting on that fastball. His command has not quite been there over his last few starts with his secondary pitches. So for him, it's about command. And if he has this command, he can be very effective. But he's just in a real tough spot right now. Uh, and, and, again, I, I we're sitting here on July 10th. I thought he would have been in Toledo by now. Uh, but his last four starts have proved that he needs some more seasoning at the A level. Uh, Austin Bergner, you know, he, he's a guy that's uh, surprised me a little bit. His first few starts weren't great. And now he's just gone out and dominated on the mound ever since. And Chance Kirby, my God. I mean, he has just been incredible whether it be in a bullpen role or whether it be in the starting rotation, chance has been lights out and he's got that bulldog mentality on the mound and he just goes after hitters. And that's, I think what is key. He has figured out that if he goes after guys and trusts his stuff, that he's going to get out. And that's what we've seen on a chance.
2: You mentioned Austin Bergner and it's so ironic that the Tigers drafted Tarek Skubel in 2018. And who knows if they found something again in the ninth round with Bergner, but, Again, you know, 25 years old, this kid was a big time high school prospect and he got better as the season went on in West Michigan. And then with you guys, he's dropped his ERA by a full run. What makes him possibly able to have this play as he goes farther up?
0: He, he Number one, he doesn't give in to hitters. He he attacks the zone very well. Uh, his last two starts, his command has been kind of iffy as well. Um, not not to the level of Olson. Um, but he has just—he—he's found his confidence on the mound, and as you know, when you have confidence on the mound and you trust your stuff and go after hitters, good things tend to happen, and that's been the case with Austin all season long. Even when he gets in jams he's not a pitcher that you look at and say, oh, he's going to fold under the pressure. He's a big game type of pitcher, and he goes right after guys. And, you know, he throws some gutsy pitches at, at, at big-time moments. And, you know, and that wasn't the case for him in his first three or four starts. But once he started to trust himself that he could get out to this level, I mean, he will attack with that high fastball when he needs to. He'll throw a changeup when he needs to. And then if he gets to two strikes – a lot of times guys have no chance right now. Uh, so he has really commanded everything well. And and for him, it, it really plays off the fastball. And when he gets that established early in the game, and he really, when he establishes the inside part of the plate early in the game, hitters have no chance.
2: Something tells me if these games were only six or maybe, say, seven innings long, Erie's record would be even better than it is so far this season. Oh, my goodness,
0: right. you're not wrong. It <laughs> has been, uh, you, you know, I, I really like the move of, uh, of, of Brendan White. Uh, converting him to a reliever. He, he's shown some really good stuff out of the bullpen in short bursts. Uh, he, he had a tough game the other night, um, but, but I, I do think that as time goes on, he's going to develop into a, a good seventh, eighth inning type of guy. Uh, Gerson Moreno had a really good week. Uh, he's a guy that was once on the Tiger 40-man roster, got hurt, had Tommy John surgery, Last year was really his his kind of first year back from that after losing the season in 2020. Uh, and he didn't have great stuff last year. He put up decent numbers. He's made it as high as AAA. Uh, but he saved his first three games this week. And it was the first time all season long that Erie's had a pitcher go four times in a six-game series. And Harrisburg had the momentum late, and they just got to him today. Um, but, you know, he, he he's a guy that uh, that I think probably ends up in Toledo at some point as well. Um, But, you know, the bullpen, Zach Houston has shown flashes. And, again, he's a guy who missed an entire, really, two seasons because of injury. You guys saw him a bit in West Michigan last year. And with Zach, he he had a stretch in the Altoona-Richmond road trip where he appeared six times in that trip. And at one point, over the course of several appearances, struck out 10 consecutive hitters. So it's in there. And he has shown flashes this season. But I think that for him, I think a lot of it is fatigue. And for a guy who, who didn't throw for a year, was trying to make his way back last year, I think for him, it's just it, 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 they, they might need to give him some rest. Uh, he, he spent some time on the development list this season, which was probably a good thing for him because when he came off of that, he was very strong. But at times, he just looks like he's got a tired arm. Um, but for Erie, the, the biggest issue out of the bullpen, it's not been you know hits for runs. It's been the walks. And that's been the biggest Achilles heel all season long. Against good teams, against bad teams. And you know, if you walk a guy late in the ball game, bad things tend to happen. And that's what's happened for Erie.
2: And despite all that, the best overall record in the Eastern League Southwest so far throughout the course of this season. I know obviously the first half it didn't work out with a playoff spot missing by just one game. Hopefully things are a little bit better in the second half. Greg Ganya Can't thank you enough, man. This is always really enlightening and it's super helpful to hear kind of the adjustments that these guys have to make when they go up, because this is the hard jump. If you can play in double a odds are you can play in the major leagues.
0: And and quite frankly, even if you don't get to the big leagues, you know, look, I say this all the time and, and you see a lot of these, you see guys that are retreads at the double a level a lot. And while a guy might not be able to have the talent to make the big leagues, if you can play and you're a good guy in the clubhouse, you're always going to have a job at the double AA or triple A level. And that's what's fun. And, and you know, the bad guys tend to weed themselves out. And the good guys who can play a little bit tend to have jobs. Uh, and, and it's uh, it, it's been a fun year so far. And Erie's it, it, got a really good ball club. And I know there's some arms in West Michigan that are probably going to w- make their way up. Uh, ho- hopefully you guys have a few bats in case we lose a few bats up here. Uh, but it, but it's been a fun year. And, you know, unfortunately, things have not gone uh, according to plan for the big club. Uh, I think there were very high expectations. We all know there were high expectations in the big club this year. And, and, and they're starting to turn things around in Detroit. But, you know, so many fans for so many years poo pooed what was going on in the minor league system. And and things are really looking up. I, I think that's under good leadership under Ryan Garko. Uh, he's brought in very good people. You have a good crop of minor league managers. And I really think that things are, are going in the right direction. And that's what you want to see as an organization because you're only as good as your farm system. And for a lot of years, the farm system was used for trades. And now the farm system is being used to cultivate young talent. And so it's been uh, it, it's been fun to see that transformation because now there is there is that impetus on winning in the minor leagues and teaching these guys how to win ball games. And it's very important to Garko and the whole minor league player development crew that we want winners in the big leagues. We want these guys to win in the minor leagues. We want them to win in Detroit, and that's been refreshing.
2: There's a whole lot more former Seawolves and Whitecaps playing for the Tigers now than there ever have been before. Thankfully, we've had a chance to see quite a number of those players now on that active roster. Greg Ganya, the radio voice of the Erie Seawolves, thanks so much for doing this, man. I always appreciate it.
0: Appreciate it, man. Anytime.
2: That is Greg Ganya on the road to Detroit. <laughs> Our thanks to Erie Seawolves radio broadcaster Greg Gania. It's now time for the road ahead. The Lakeland Flying Tigers, they head to Palm Beach. Must be rough. Six games against the Cardinals. That's the low A team for the St. Louis Cardinals. West Michigan, they host the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers for six games. It's a high A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers, and Wisconsin has been playing outstanding baseball, just like West Michigan has. Both of those two teams come in with an 11-4 second half record. This could potentially be a playoff matchup, a championship matchup. About a year ago at this time, Reese Olsen, who's now a top-20 Tigers prospect, was pitching for the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. It was right before the trade that sent him over to the Tigers system in exchange for Daniel Norris. So it's West Michigan and Wisconsin. In Erie, they host the Binghamton Rumble Ponies for a six-game set, double-A for the New York Mets, and Toledo's on the road against St. Paul. It's been a long road trip for Toledo. They were in Omaha last week. Usually you don't go back-to-back, so Toledo's going to be living out of a suitcase for a little while. They've got the St. Paul Saints, the Minnesota Twins AAA affiliate, for six games. That's a look at the road ahead. And that wraps up another edition of the Road to Detroit podcast, presented by Carhartt. My thanks to Austin Bergner, who was kind enough to join us and break down his ascension through the minor league levels and how he's gotten better at every stop. Also, a huge thanks to Greg Gania coming on to give us a state of the double Erie Seawolves. Next Sunday night, the MLB draft, the Detroit Tigers pick number 12 overall. If you want to hear the latest about the Tigers and what they might do with that pick, go back to episode four. Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline runs through all the possibilities for Detroit at number 12 overall. And the next episode of this show, we're going to know who that number 12 overall pick is there's a real chance he comes into the system as, say, the Tigers' number two, maybe number three prospect. This is a big deal, and we've got a lot of catching up to do with whoever it is. So make sure to keep an eye out for that next episode. Might have to do a little emergency Road to Detroit podcast next week. And thanks so much for listening. Again, for our producer, Nate Wangler, my name is Dan Hasty. This has been the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. And until next time
0: no one's been part of more first days of work than carhartt and in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect carhartt never stops earning the respect of hard-working people like you from building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or a worst day of work to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future. Trust your Carhartts to keep doing their job, long after you've been doing yours. Since 1889, Carhartts got your back 24-7. Visit Carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you.